I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman, back for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. This week we are talking about the Frozen Four, we're going to talk about the World U18s, um, and we're going to take some of your questions for a mailbag. So pretty good episode coming up here, Corey. Uh, first of all, you were at the Frozen Four. So how was that in Boston this year? Uh, yeah, I think it was a good tournament. I mean, it's one of the best Frozen Fours I could recall over the last couple of years in terms of NHL talent. Obviously, you had the one a couple of years ago where you, where you had Kale McCarr there. I forgot whether he, Adam Fox was in that one. I know UMass played Harvard. I forgot whether it was in the Frozen Four or not. But, but this one, you had so many high-end guys and, and you know depth of NHL draft picks among the four participating teams. I, I don't know how many of them really had big tournaments, to be quite honest, but but they were all there and present and, and, and playing. So that was enjoyable. Denver, the, the eventual champion, very entertaining team, very talented team. Deserving champion, and uh, they they played very played very well. And had to make that comeback there in the championship game. So overall, I thought it was a, I thought it was a very enjoyable tournament. Corey, in all his modesty, leaving out there that uh, he did pick Denver to win it. They they defeat Minnesota State, which was my pick, um, and and it was a really good game. I mean, the, the final score that it ends up being comes in at five one, but that was a really tight game for fifty minutes or so, um, maybe a little bit longer than that. And, and so, uh, really good hockey. I mean, we'll we'll get there. We'll get to the championship game. But you kind of called out at the at the beginning in our episode last week that you thought the Denver Michigan game um, would probably produce the champion, might be the best game of the tournament. I, I think it was. Um, it obviously goes to overtime. These are two of you know the, the most talented teams in the country, certainly. Um, obviously, I think everyone knows about the Michigan kids, but Denver had a lot of really good players too, a lot of drafted players, but also you know a, a lot of players who maybe aren't quite on the same radar as Michigan. We talk about the four top five picks, but Denver had Bobby Brink and, and they, yep. they, you know um, Mike Benning, Carter Savoy, players who in college hockey this year have been excellent. Um, and I thought they really blended that 
really nicely in, in both of those games. Yeah, I liked Carter Mazur a lot in, in, in there. I liked Shai Boyam. I liked Sean Barron's. Carter Savoy had, had, had big moments. Yeah, these guys are not on the same level in terms of NHL prospects as Michigan kids. We can kind of go through all those guys and debate whether they'll, they'll play or not, whether they'll have long careers or not. But, but they're very talented team still in its own right in Denver. I mean, you on that power play when they have Bobby Brink and Carson Voy on the two flank, they have Mike Benning or Sean Barron's at the point. There's a lot of skill and puck moving ability on that team. Even if it's not like they don't, all those guys don't have the ideal pro projections in terms of you know, size and mobility. Although a guy like Shai Boyam might be a little bit closer to that. But yeah, two very talented teams, and it was that game was was awesome to watch and, and just kind of seeing them go back and forth. It goes to overtime. Uh, Brink and Savoy uh, connect there on the overtime goal. Eric Portillo you know, kind of gets going the wrong way, but overall had an had an really strong game there for Michigan. They was they were they were pretty much outplayed, I thought, for for long stretches of, the, of that game, and Portillo kept them in it. He's going back now for his next season, but you know he looks like a, a solid NHL prospect. As you said, that was a great game to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think Denver went into this game, and, and it's certainly obviously good game planning by them to, to play it the way they did. They didn't give Michigan very many looks. But what I'm more impressed by is I, I think anyone could kind of tell you you don't want to let Kent Johnson, Matty Beneers, Brendan Brisson have the puck with, with time or space right in, in, in the money area of the ice. I, I was more impressed with the ability of a Denver team that is more veteran than Michigan, but still fairly young. They're still a fairly young team here. Especially their blue line. Yeah, to execute that game plan. And I, I thought, like you said, Mazer, I thought his physical presence was massive in this. I thought they did a good job clogging up space for a young blue line. I was really impressed with the ability of a, you know, not not old, not super young, but a kind of middle-aged Denver team to um, to really execute this about as well as you could have. And you look at that Michigan team and a lot of those top prospects didn't have good games. Yep. They had they had they were better in the regionals, you know, versus AIC Quinnipiac, but Quinnipiac was still a very good team this season and 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 they were very, and those top players were very good versus them, but in this game versus Denver, whether you guys said Matty Beneers, Kent Johnson, Owen Power, Brennan Brisson, Samuskevich, they didn't really do that much in that game. Luke Hughes was just okay in the first half, second half of the game. He was, he was probably the best of those top guys. Probably once they hit an amazing game, but it was, it was a good game for him. You know, if that puck doesn't roll up on his stick there on that rush in overtime, maybe they win. It doesn't, though. That's hockey sometimes. But, but yeah, those, those top guys, for the most part, were neutralized. Especially, you know, at least Beneers, you know, he was working hard, I thought, yeah. as he usually does, but he, him and Kent Johnson did not get the offense going. I thought Beneers was the I thought Beneers was the most noticeable of, of the big guys to me, but part of that is just because his style of play does jump off the ice, and you're still right. going to see him on the forecheck and all that. Yeah, he, he was he was draw, you know he had his own entries. He he got, he got back. He he was around the puck. Just meant I don't think he really created that many scoring chances. But but that's why I think Matty Beneers is going to be a successful NHL player. Is he for sure going to be a 60, 70, 75 point guy in the NHL? Maybe, maybe not. I think he could do it. Maybe in his best years. But even if he's not scoring, I think that's why you think he's gonna re- he's gonna help your team most nights. Is because he adds skating and 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 size and work ethic to all of his shifts. 
you hear NHL coaches call it pretty much a B game, right? It's like, yes, yes, we know what you can do when you're on. When you have a good B game, it really helps the consistency. It helps these guys as they adjust to the full length of an NHL season. I hear that from scouts, that term too, the, what they call B game, backup game. It, it basically – and their logic is if this player doesn't become what I think he's going to be, can he still help our team? And usually this analysis is reserved for the offensively driven guys mm-hmm. who have some limitations, whether it's size or skating or, or compete. When a guy looks at this player, it's like, okay, I think he's talented enough to be a top nine four in the NHL and be on a second power play unit. But if he doesn't do that, he's probably not in the NHL. Whereas a guy with a veneer, you're like, I think he's talented enough to be a first line center in the NHL. But if I'm wrong, we get these things wrong all the time. I, he'll be a second-line center. He'll be a third-line center. He, there, he'll kill penalties. It's hard to imagine this guy not having a long NHL career. Right, absolutely. And and ultimately what it kind of comes down to, it's usually not all one or all the other, right? It's like if you can have your A game for 30 to 40 nights in the NHL and, and a pretty good B game for you know 40 to 50 nights in the NHL, you're a pretty good player. You're a second-line center, whatever it might be, if you're Matty Beneers. And so if, if you can have your A game for 60 nights – you're, you're an amazing player. Nobody has it for 82 games in NHL season, but if you can have it for 50, 60 nights and you're Matty Beneers and you have a B game like that, um, that's what I took hard in watching him is, is he, you know, he's the one who we'll see, you know, we expect most of these guys. He saw his A game in the Olympics. Right. Exactly. You know, he, that, that guy can be really dynamic sometimes. Yeah. And, and so what I took out of, you know, Michigan's guys is I think um, I, I expect Beneers and power to have kind of the two most immediate impacts in the NHL. And, and, you know, I think Kent Johnson is a dynamic player. I think all the upside in the world. I just think right now you see a little more floor in, in those other two guys. And that's probably why they went one and two. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think you look at the seasons they had too. They both had very good seasons. I don't, you know, Matty Beniers was, was, was a hope, was a Hobie finalist. He wasn't yep. one of the Hobie Hattrick finalists, but he was a Hobie finalist. Power, like I said, cause he's, Big and he can skate well for his size and he has good hockey sense. You, there's no way he's not going to be a top four defenseman. I think after watching him this season, you're starting to ask, well, is he going to be that, that star number one defenseman? Or is he just going to be a really good top pair guy? Or, I think those are the things we'll have to see over the rest of his career. I guess the question I have from watching him, especially in the second half of the season, is how much offense is there going to be in the NHL? Obviously, they have a really good power play one defenseman in Buffalo, so they won't need him in that role. So, so you know, you know, power be the tough matchup guys. I think those are the things we're, we're going to kind of see in terms of how his career plays out. Yep. And I, I think there are enough traits there for him to create offense without the power play. I think the shot's good enough. I think the vision's good enough that at, at five yep. on five, you know, he's going to still find a way to find those points. Yeah, I, right. I, I think so too. I don't know if it's going to be Big time yep. point production, but I he definitely he has skill, he has good hockey sense, he can skate. There's a lot of assets there to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll circle back on Michigan to kind of wrap up kind of the I guess the college legacy of not each individual player so much as the the grouping of them. But let's move into this championship game because I, I think Minnesota State kind of did what Minnesota State does. You know, they 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 get they actually got down early um, in their uh, semifinal game against Minnesota, but once they had the lead. That game was over. I mean, that, that's that's how that team plays. Um, and, and they did a nice job of getting out to a lead against Denver. And you didn't know at that point, like, is Denver going to be able to crack Dryden McKay? Are they going to be able to crack this defense? Um, and it was, I think it's a real credit to Denver's resilience that, that they were able to find a way to battle back into this game. 
Right. Two teams built very differently. Denver, the more traditional top college team. They have the draft picks. They have a decent amount of veterans to go with the talent and the, and the, and the great power play. And Minnesota State's kind of the, the other way that you usually get to the, to the, the top of the college hockey uh, mountain in that they're, they're built with older players. They've built a really good program in Mankato over the last few years, but other than Nathan Smith, the third-round pick, formerly by Winnipeg, now with Arizona, they don't usually get top prospects that come to that school. So they have to get the guys who are 19, 20, 21 coming out of the USHL, AJHL, BCHL to come to that team, and they don't have as the typical speed, skill dynamic that a team like Denver or Michigan have but they're just bigger and stronger and they can win more battles and just frankly push around some of the smaller guys on that Denver team, whether it was Savoy or Brink or Cole Gutman or Brett Stapley. But but that team, I Denver's team does have the skill, I thought, but they also do have they had enough physicality to compete and enough of a veteran group there in terms of the town level and being a little bit older. I mentioned some of the guys like Cole Gutman there, for example that it helped them, I think, kind of overcome that hump. And, and, and obviously they have the offensive guys there, like like Brink and Savoy, who can make the plays, score the goals, and, and make things happen. Mike Benning was very good in the Frozen Four. Yep. You know, really talented, small, maybe not dynamic skater, but really smart puck-moving defenseman. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think Brink and Savoy were two of their best players in, in that game. I mean, it, obviously early on, they kind of got taken out of it offensively. But as the game progressed, you, you notice those guys a lot getting chances around the net. Obviously, Savoy scores a big goal for them um, to, to get there. And I felt like you continue to notice them in the championship game and, until, you know, the end and, and they start to pour it on. And, and obviously, Mazer has a really nice assist for the 3-1 goal. And um, they, they get a power play to get the 2-1 goal. But I felt like their stars, as the game went on, were their best players. And I think that's important. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's a really well-put-together team. And, Denver's been one of the top programs. I'll be one of the top programs likely going forward here. Uh, so yeah, all the credit to them. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's zoom out a little bit big picture here. And and I want to circle back on Michigan because they were kind of a team that dominated a lot of the college hockey uh, air this season for for obvious reason. They had four of the top five picks in last year's draft on their team. They had even more first rounders than that. There was kind of this feeling that with this much talent, uh, it is national championship or bust for this program. And I wonder, Corey, as you look at, at this, uh, the way this ended, they go to the Frozen Four, they go to overtime in the semifinal, but they don't win it. 
And and now, you know, you're starting to see the guys turn pro. They lose uh, Johnson, Beneers, Power, and, and their captain, Nick Blankenberg. So you, they have more talent coming in, but that era is gone now. How do you look back on kind of uh, this season and, and really this era of, of these picks for Michigan? It was probably going to be hard for them to ever live up to the expectations unless they won a national championship or unless they scored five to seven goals yep. every night. There were those games. I watched a lot of Michigan's games. I probably watched somewhere between 50 to 60% of their overall games this season. And there were a lot of those nights when you watch them where they looked like the Harlem Globetrotters on ice and they were making plays all over the ice and the talent level was amazing. And you saw whether, you know, whether it was Beneers or Kent Johnson or Luke Hughes or Power, somebody's doing something really amazing in that game. And, and it was just really entertaining to watch. It's tough in college hockey for your best players to be teenagers. It's not impossible, but it's tough to build a champion where you have just a lot of really good teenagers and you don't have the really good upperclassmen to go with that. So I'm not sure if national championship or bus was ever a realistic outcome for people who, you know, talking around college hockey, I don't think everyone thought they were the, you know, by the clear favorite and nobody else was close because they, they, they've seen this movie before. Maybe not exactly like this one, but we could think of, say, like the Boston University teams of, of past years that, that had a bunch of high picks and didn't really do, do much. And, and that kind of, there's a little bit of a rhyme there. At the end of the day, they still made it to the Rose before. They were one goal away, a bounce away, you can argue, from the national championship game. They won a Big Ten championship. And they they were uh, the number one overall seed going into the tournament. So I think they, it was a very successful season, even if it wasn't the season that you hoped. And even though there were some times over the years where they – over the year, sorry, where – they didn't look like they were an elite team. They, you know, they lost get some games you thought they shouldn't have. There was like kind of that Western Michigan debacle where they kind yeah. of pulled out of a game. It looked like it was a way to to game the pair wise. But overall, though, I I still thought it was a great season, a very entertaining season, and one that we won't probably see for a very long time. To have four top five picks on one team, whether it's in college or in junior. Is exceptionally rare. We think about next season where we're going to have Logan Cooley at Minnesota. You're going to have Charlie Stramel at Wisconsin. You're going to have Adam Fantilli at Michigan. Three great players on three different teams because that's usually how it goes. Even that's yeah. like great for college hockey in a typical year. So I think we'll look back on this in five, ten years from now and really, you know, when these guys become great NHL players and 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 look back fondly on on that that experience again to go watch these guys play. Yeah, I mean, it, obviously different sport here, but it, the closest thing I could think of to it is sort of Michigan's experience with the Fab Five in basketball, and those teams never won a national championship. But I think you have to look at the era and say, obviously, you know, there's a whole uh, extra side of stuff that comes with that conversation with the legacy. But there, I think both are, were, would be have to be considered successes, right? Like I I don't think you could look at a team that makes the Frozen Four. Um, and, and, and that is able to sustain this many top prospects on one team. I think that's an overlooked um, factor to this Michigan season is that all these guys got to play and, and, and you want to have them all succeed. And there, there are only so many spots in every, um, every top line, every top power play. And, and I think most of these guys have developed 
as well or better than expected. And I, I look at it and I think um, by and large that experiment's kind of a success, even if for, I'm sure for Michigan diehard fans, it's going to be hard to accept not getting sure. a championship out of this. But from a sheer like hockey standpoint, I think they kind of succeeded here. Right. It's not an excuse, but also just an observation from their season. It's a very long year for a lot of the guys. With that, with the World Juniors, it doesn't go through. A lot of those guys leave for the Olympics. In the, the day, though, the Olympics were months ago, so it's not an excuse for not winning this game. But it just overall, you know, very unique season with a lot of ebbs and flows to it for these guys. But I, I think we'll, in a few years from now, we'll look back on this and 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 think fondly of the games you're able to watch with, with those guys on the ice and just how entertaining it was. Yeah, absolutely. One more college hockey topic here before we, we pivot a little bit, but the Hobie Baker. So obviously Minnesota State's Dryden McKay wins it. Um, and I think whenever you get into these conversations about the awards, it can get really charged because people want to feel like their guy is getting properly recognized. Um, all of these finalists here by by almost definition are deserving winners of this award here. But I wanted to get your reaction to the Dryden McKay when I think part of the kind of contention around the announcement surrounded the fact that he did not win the Mike Richter award for best goalie in the country, which is a different voting base. I think it's important for people to recognize that, but he doesn't win the best goalie award. He does win the Hobie Baker, which is, which is college hockey's Heisman, the most outstanding player. Your reaction to, to Dryden McKay getting the Hobie, Corey. Right. As you kind of said, the voting bases are, are different. The Hobie is a committee of coaches, NHL scouts, uh, some some media members. Dryden McK- this is not a best prospect or anything like that. It's just who had the best season, who was the most outstanding college player this season. And Dryden McKay has been an outstanding college player the last few seasons. Yes, Mankato in the CCHA is the clear best team in, in, in that conference, but... He's been a big reason why they were successful the last few years, and I think they were like 35-5 and five this season or something along those lines. You don't get that with, to that kind of record without outstanding goaltending. His numbers are great. I think he had the most shutouts ever of, of any college goalie. Big part of why they went deep into the playoffs and, and to the national championship game. That being said, there's a lot of evaluators I talked to and I would probably say this myself, I'm not even sure he was the best player on his team this season. I think you can argue Nathan Smith, who was just now signed by the Coyotes, player of the Olympics for, for the United States. I thought he could. you could argue he was just as valuable to that team as, as Ryan McKay was. With that being said, I... The three finalists were the three finalists. The three finalists were Brian McKay, the goalie from Mankato, Bobby Brink, the winger from Denver, and Ben Myers, the center from Minnesota. I don't know if either of those other two had such exceptional seasons that if those were the last three that you voted on, and it started with a pool of 10, they go down to three, the Hobie hat trick, and then they picked the one, that I think it's unreasonable to pick McKay from those three. But I would probably have leaned to one of the other two, just because I feel like McKay given how he doesn't see a ton of high shots, ton of high-quality shots a game. And at least I thought that Ben My- Ben Myers probably would have been my pick. I felt like he was the best center in the country. He was a play-driving, all-around great player this season from Minnesota. Or Bobby Brink, who was the leading scorer in the country and a big part of why Denver won the national championship. They can't put that part into the voting process, but that's just an observation. 
those would have been my leans. But given the three that they ended up with, I don't think it was unreasonable to pick McKay. Right. Now, I, I think Bobby Brink being the nation's leading scorer, uh, that does carry a lot of weight. It's important to note that was on a super high scoring Denver team. And I, I never know how, you know, as a voter, like that's something I have to think about. I'm not, I'm not a college hockey voter, but like an awards voter in general, you have to kind of yep. think about team context for these things. And yep. um, all three deserving winners, you know. It, and it's, Ben Myers didn't have a huge point season. It was a right. It was excellent, excellent season, but it wasn't a huge point season. Like I said, Denver with Brink, team context there. Probably doesn't drive the play two way plays a guy like Myers does. So those are all things you have to balance. So I think it was tough, but I probably would have leaned to one of the two forwards. Not a huge point season, but still a really good one that could have been verging on it had he not left for the Olympics. And I don't know how that right. factors in here. Do you do you punish him for leaving? You know, missing a few games for the Olympics as a voter. Like these are all tough questions. Yeah, it's fair. I, I mean, that that one really applies to Devin Levi. If yeah. Devin Levi doesn't go to the Olympics. See the Hobie Baker winner. Right. Hey, everybody. Quick interlude on the podcast here. Max and I had a couple of scheduling conflicts, so we couldn't record on Thursday when we usually do for a Friday episode. Uh, and between when we recorded and when this episode has been released, Ben Myers, the top college free agent, signed an NHL deal with the Colorado Avalanche. Ben Myers was the number two rated prospect on my list of overall free agents combining college, major, junior, and Europe. And him, alongside Andre Kuzmenko in Russia, were considered the top tier of prospects of guys who could have legitimate NHL careers. Ben Myers choosing Colorado is an interesting decision because it's not the one you usually see college free agents take. Top college free agents and European free agents tend to gravitate to teams that offer them ice time opportunity where they can play significant roles, get power play time. And in Colorado, Ben Myers will unlikely get that, especially on the power play front. But in doing so, he joins a team that for the foreseeable future will be contenders in the NHL, and he can play a lower role on that team and contribute to them winning. He was always going to be a projected bottom six forward regardless, and on Colorado, he's probably more of a fourth-line depth type of forward. But you have to admire the decision for, for this player to go ahead and try and put himself in a position to win a championship. Ben Myers goes into this situation and helps Colorado because Colorado doesn't have a lot of draft capital in recent years. They just traded away two of their top prospects in Drew Hellison and Justin Barron at the trade deadline. So they need some young, cheap talent over the coming years. And by acquiring a player like Myers, it furthers that effort to provide them with quality depth so they can continue to win and not hurt their salary cap over the next couple of seasons. Before we get to the mailbag, I just wanted to get into the World U18s here, which are coming up to start on April 23rd. Um, always a really important tournament from the draft. Obviously, it's it's close to best on best. Uh, well, it, it is best on best, but it, it's close to all the best players from the draft. You always get a few overagers who aren't there. This year, there are going to be some extra players who aren't there uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, the Russian team obviously won't be there following the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They're, they're not at the tournament. Um, Slovakia not there because they had been relegated. And so um, ideally, you would have loved to see Slovakia, which has Yuri Slavkovsky, Simon Nemitz. You'd love to see them elevated into the tournament to compete here. 
but they are hosting the second tier tournament. And so we will be without them as well. Um, that does take out a, a, a fair number of, of intriguing prospects at the very top of the board here. Right. Like I said, we're recording this on Tuesday. I just watched them, uh, the Slovakia U18 team that play Norway in the second tier U18 Worlds pool. Nimic had two points in that game. Yes, you would like to, and Slavkovsky is not here. He's still playing in his playoffs in Finland. You would have liked to see them at the top pool, but I understand why you know, they couldn't make it work because they had promised to host this tournament. And Slovakia was actually relegated in 2019 at the U18 World Championships. But because there's been several years without relegation and promotion in the IHF, it unfortunately doesn't work out, even though this age group at the Holinka Gretzky was a silver medalist and absolutely would have been a medalist contender if they were eligible to play in this tournament, even if Russia was still there. They would have been in that in the in the mix to get a medal. So it's it's unfortunate, but it's the reality. And the other thing that'll be different from this tournament too is the Canadian team, which usually they don't send their best. They have everybody for the Holinka. They send everybody, those guys to the Holinka typically. They won't have and, and it's because the CHL playoffs typically limit them, but it will limit them even more this year because the CHL playoffs have been delayed so much due to COVID issues. So I think this Canadian team will still be competitive. It's still Canada. They've got a lot of good players they can draw from. It's going to be comprised, though, of players who have been eliminated from the CHL playoffs, which is a very small amount of teams. won't comprise anybody from the queue because the queue, every team in the queue qualifies for the playoffs. So automatically it's only going to be O and WHL players in that regard. You're going to see a lot of young players. A lot of the top 05s will be called to this team. You're going to see AJ and BCHL players. I've heard of a couple of them in mind, whether it's Rieger Lorenz in, in Okotox or Tyson Jugnoth in, in the BCHL. I think those are absolutely candidates. And I've heard, you know, there are is a chance there might be some USHL players that get called. I, I It's my understanding that both Adam Fentilli and Nick Moldenhauer from Chicago ha, have been asked whether they go. We'll see. The, the USHL, because Chicago will probably have a first-round bye with – it would line up okay with them in that regard. But obviously they have a playoffs they have to keep in mind. So we'll see. But but Canada will have a very interesting team, competitive team, but more interesting than usual. Well, that is interesting too, especially when you mentioned Fantilli, because last year a couple of the guys who really I thought caught my eye at this tournament um, were underagers last year. That, that At the time would have been Shane Wright, would have been Ivan Miroshenko and Danilo Yurov for Russia. Um, so the, you know, another high potential you know, we, we've talked about Adam Fantilli as high as the top three potentially for next year and and really a good first look at him after well not first look I'm sure people have seen him already in the USHL but an international stage look for him potentially right for your, your typical fan probably wouldn't have watched him and that's because I no guarantee he's going but I, I do know there's been those conversations going on for a while and my if I had to bet right now I would say he's he'll be there but but we'll see and yes he would he would make such a very interesting underage presence there. And like I said, like the ones we had last year, and whether it was the ones you mentioned, or Conor Bedard, or, or Matvey Michkov, even Logan Cooley had some really good moments there. It was it was a great tournament for underagers. Yeah. Uh, the U.S., obviously, a th- th- little less uh, mystery, I guess, surrounding their roster. You kind of know who the U.S. Uh, and TDP U18 team is. But sometimes they will bring an extra U17 up for this tournament. Um, we don't have the rosters again uh, as of today as we record, but any indication of, you know, a, a couple of guys who I know have played up this year, I mean, Will Smith is a guy, um, right-handed centerman who I've seen with skating with the U18s that I think could potentially be, um, be, be ready to make an impact at a tournament like this. Yeah. Will Smith is definitely the one. I think there's going to be some jockeying there, you know, whether we see 
He's played very well. He's the top guy for next year from the NTDP. The variable there was Cruz Lucius, who missed almost the entire season due to injury and came back. He wasn't very good when he first came back. Then he had a couple good games there at the end. The question the NTDP are going to have to juggle with here is what do we do with, with Cruz Lucius versus Will Smith? Who's going to be in us, you know, in a top nine role? I believe they've invited Gavin Brindley too from Tri, from the Tri City Storm. Also, again, same thing. They'll have a first round bye. Things will, will line up well there. So we'll see whether, if they like Cruz, if they bring Brindley, those are kind of things they'll have to work out. But if they do add a significant piece from the 17s, I believe it would be a four with, with either Will Smith or Ryan Leonard. I think their defense is rather set. They've liked, I think they like how Brady Cleveland played this season, but I don't see him playing a significant role on that team this season at the 18 level anyways. I mean, obviously, the the Swedish team this year has some big prospects: Jonathan Lekaramaki, Elias Salmonson, and, and the Yurgarden uh, Quartet, uh, Osland Ogren, Odelius. Uh, who am I missing there? Lekaramaki. Oh, right, of course, yeah. Uh, so potentially, you know, these are guys who could most of these guys threaten for the first round. Um, and and there's an additional Elias Pettersson that I eventually want to get your thoughts on first. But let's start at the top there with Lekaramaki um, and, and really the Yurgarden kids uh, before we get going. They had a good Holinka this group. They they finished in, in the in the gold medal game, but this is still a solid group of players. They are absolutely a medal contender because it's Sweden and it's a deep group of players. I think what we're all really excited to see what Lekaramaki does at this tournament after the after he had a very good season with, at the club level between the J twenty and the SHL. So you know, can he elevate and? take over a game by himself. I didn't see that at the Holinka. I thought he played well. He didn't play at that level there. I think those are the questions for a guy like that who is not, you know, not that big. He's a good skater, not an elite skater. I think questions like that for him and for Joachim Kamel will apply is, is can they, can they win a game by themselves at this level? I think those are the things you're, you're going to be looking for, especially if you have a high pick, do you want to use a top five pick, a top seven pick, top eight pick, on a on a small winger, unless you feel they are that, that dynamic. Some people feel that way about both of them. Some don't. In Sweden's case, though, outside of the talk at Ekramaki, I think there's a lot of there's good depth on this team in terms of just the overall talent. You know, you mentioned the your guarding kids. You know, plenty of scouts like uh, Liam Ogren a lot. You know, some like Noah Oslin and Kelly Odelius. Elias Salmonson was a guy I think commonly thought of as a first rounder coming into the year. Had a kind of a slow first half, better towards the second half of the season. Starting to hear some more first, second round buzz on this kid right now. And Philip Bystead, big center who could skate, has some offense. A lot of attention on him right now going into his U18s. And a lot of, not a lot, but a decent amount of evaluators I talked to think he's a, a guy who could be a top 40, top 45 pick. Well, and another guy that you mentioned before the show, you're hearing a little bit more buzz on is the other Elias Pettersson uh, playing for Odebro in, in Sweden. Uh, we have the two Sebastian Ajos in the NHL already. We have Sebastian Ajo, who's a forward. We have a Sebastian Ajo, who's a defenseman. Now we have a left shot, six foot two defenseman for Odebro, uh, Elias Pettersson. Can you give me the rundown on, uh, on Elias 2.0? Very different player from the <laughs> other Elias Pettersson. Uh, this guy is a big mobile defensive defenseman and the question on him is the offense so a very different scouting report from from the guy in Vancouver you know I I'm not sure I'm super high on him but there are 
quite a few scouts I've talked to over the last month or two who are high on this player, who think he will be an NHL player. You know, whether he be a third, you know, you know, fringy second type. I, you know, that's that's the projection for those who like him. I'm not all the way there yet. Third, third, second pair, third, second round. Oh, a pair. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, is it? I I will. I'll be really curious to see how he plays at this tournament. But but yeah, he's absolutely a guy getting hype right now. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Finland with, with uh, Joachim Kamel. I mean, I, I think this is a big tournament for him as a guy who had a blistering first half, kind of came back down to earth in the second half in terms of his production. And now he gets to go against his age group. And I think if he's able to come right out and, and look like one of the very best players on the ice here, I think it's going to be a lot easier for people to move past a, a quieter second half. Right. Again, the numbers are still really good yeah. for, a, for a guy playing in Liga. I don't think anybody realistically expected him to keep up that production from his first half. You know that would have been analogous to say what Patrick Laine did or Alexander Barkov did in their draft years, and nobody realistically thought this guy was at that level. But he's still a really talented scorer, high skill level, really smart. He can shoot the puck at a high level. He competes well. There's a lot to like about this guy, and yes, you're going to be looking to him. See, okay. You scored all season. He scored the Holinka. He scores through a good chunk of the of the Liga season. His World Junior games were just okay before the tournament got shut down. Can you end on a strong note here and give yourself a strong argument to be a top five pick in the next NHL draft? In net for Finland, uh, Topias Leinonen, six foot five goaltender who uh, spent most of his year with the juniors, but did get get a little bit of time with the pros in in Liga this year. Um, he could be, you know, if, if he obviously goaltending in a tournament can can go a long way to changing this. Where does he stack up in in terms of the prospects in this year's goalie draft class? This is not a great year for goalies, but with that being said, Leinonen is often one of the the top names being mentioned for the upcoming NHL draft. If I had to bet, it will be between him or Tyler Brennan and Prince George of the WHL to be the first goalie selected in the next NHL draft. And I would imagine if that's the case, you're talking about them going either in the second or the third round. I don't think there's a first-round goalie this year, as we've seen in the last couple of years. But Lanenin hasn't had a chance really to play much international hockey, so I'll be really curious to see how he does at this biggest stage. And then we talked about the underage factor with potentially Fantilli if he's able to go to the tournament. Finland with uh, Aaron Kiviharju could be bringing a double underager on defense. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I haven't had a chance to watch him yet. The, the, the double double underager. underager, right? <laughs> yeah, I just I got a lot of hockey I got to watch, and that's not top priority for me. But but when you're at this kind of tournament, I obviously will be really interested to see how he does. I have watched the other underage on this tournament, though. Uh, for Finland, Kasper Haltunen, big winger uh, from the Yelkrit organization. He's a really good player. He'll be a top player in next year's draft. Uh, a couple of guys uh, from countries that maybe have a little bit less uh, bolstered prospect contingents, but another German player in Julian Lutz, Switzerland, bringing the big defenseman, Leon Bischel. Um, what are we expecting out of, out of these two players, and what's their kind of draft range seen as right now? Yeah, Lutz is an interesting one. He, he was... Had a you know a good U-team world the previous year, the one in Dallas. Just okay at the Holinka. Then he gets injured. He misses almost the entire season. We've come back in recent weeks. There's been a lot of NHL scouts going out to go watch this kid. Like really good skater, skill. So there's some intrigue. He only has three points. He doesn't really play on the power play for his DEL team. It's, it's a good team. 
But there is some intrigue here. So if he can end the year strong, I think this is a guy who can elevate his way into a second or a third round conversation. And Bischel obviously threatening for potential potential first round pick at this point for Switzerland. Right. Yeah. I think if there are, he's already there with some teams. Some teams he isn't. But if he has a strong tournament, I think he'll kind of solidify his way into that. I want to close with the Czech Republic. Uh, you know, David Juracek is the big prospect from, from that nation in this year's draft. He's not uh, of age. He was a late birthday, so he's not in this group. Um, he could be playing, I believe, at the, it's coming back from injury from the World Juniors at the World Championships. Is that right? Yeah, that's the hope. We'll see, obviously, what those teams look like. We'll see whether Simon Nemec or Slavkovsky can go there for Slovakia. But that's the hope is we can see those kind of guys at a World Championships. And given that it's an Olympic year, you would – Imagine that some of the guys who played in the Olympics will probably get invited to the World Championship team or will elect not to play in it. So it's possible we can see some of these younger players get into the mix there, like a year Czech or, or a Slavkovsky. But the Czech team will still have some good players. Matthias Sapovalov, who plays in Sagadov, could be a top two round pick. Yuri Kulik could be a top two round pick. So there's still some talent there. And I should check myself. That's Czechia. I'm going to have to keep learning this lesson apparently every time there's a national tournament. And Edward Sale, the underage, is a good player on, on Czech too. All right. So those are the players, Corey. What are you kind of expecting to see in this tournament? Is there a team that really jumps out to you or, or a player that you really think is, is going to uh, be the story of this tournament? Due to yet you know another season with COVID, we haven't had to have the usual round international hockey as we would expect. But we did have the U18 tournament in November. Lekaramaki wasn't there for Sweden or Ogren, and Kamel wasn't there for Finland. But for the most part, most of the best players from U.S., Sweden, and Finland were there, and U.S. just ran over everybody. And that kind of, and they didn't have Charlie Strangle at that one either, who's a top prospect for, the, for next year's draft, and it will be is an important player for the NTDP right now. They are the clear favorite going into this. If they don't gold medal, it's an upset. That doesn't mean that there aren't other teams, whether it's Canada, Sweden, Finland, who can who could possibly upset them if a guy like Alekaramaki has a big game. You know, if Canada gets a lot of guys to say yes and forms some really weird squad that somehow manages to pull off the upset, something like that could happen. But for right now, the United States is always a strong contender at this tournament. But with a very good NTDP age group this year, no Russia, so no Mafe Michkov on the other side. They they are the team we expect will win this tournament, but time will tell. All right. So very different circumstances from last year. Obviously, we hadn't seen most of the certainly the Ontario kids, um, and a lot of even some of the you know the Western kids. We had seen very little of coming into this for Canada specifically, but not a ton of a lot of these prospects. But I wonder, is there a Mason McTavish? candidate here for someone who, you know, enters the tournament right around that, you know, obviously top 10-ish consideration, but could elevate themselves to the very upper echelon of this class with a big tournament. The one I keep hearing about, and I don't think he's unknown, like, this isn't a player that I would say like, oh, I never heard of this guy before. He hasn't played much hockey like Mason McTavish was. But the guy I keep hearing is Cutter Gauthier. I keep hearing from Skaz, if Cutter Gauthier really elevates at that tournament and is one of the top players there. He's a guy you can start hearing in the top 10, top 8 discussion because he has all the tools. Production this season wasn't elite, but if he has an elite tournament, I think you'll start to hear that buzz. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Corey, let's wrap uh, with the mailbag. And we got one from Ivan M to start us off here. It says, given the OHL was shut down in 2021, were there any 2021 OHL draft picks that should have been drafted significantly higher or lower than where they were actually drafted now that they've had a year of D plus one? I assume he means NHL draft picks out of the OHL here. Right. It's an interesting question because I think when we were at this time last year, we thought the answer was obviously yes. Yeah. We talked about not only into that context, we talked about in terms of even the draft possibly being delayed because people were worried that the OHL wasn't playing. We don't know these players very well. There's probably going to be like 10 guys that come out of nowhere or guys that we think are good are going to fall dramatically. I think for the most part, a year later, the top draft picks still look like the top draft picks a year later. The one that I kind of hear the most about is what would happen with Wyatt Johnston. He was the first round pick by the Dallas Stars. I think it was around 2022, if I recall. Yep, 20. And he's the leading scorer right now in the. the, 23. (laughs) He's the leading scorer in the OHL, as I say this, by about 10 points. Windsor's one of the top teams in the OHL. He'll, He'll be in the mix to be named the most outstanding player in the OHL this season. Might might even argue he's the favorite to get the award. So in that context, could you argue he should have been picked higher? Sure. He's not a perfect player. He's he's but he's he is you know his skating is just okay. But he's big and he's skilled. He's smart. He's competitive. And obviously there, he has a lot of offense. And to go with what I think is a pretty decent two way game too. 
Um, there were a lot of people who liked Wyatt Johnson going into the draft, you know, myself included. I, I, you know, I, I, I think I had him like around like whatever, like 18 to 20 on my list. A year later, you probably can argue he should have gone in the teens. I don't know if he would have had the good enough season to get into the top 10 range, but you can argue he could have gone top 15, maybe even top 13. I said, I think the skating concerns are still something that I would, I would wonder about in terms of the like high, high echelon parts of the draft. But uh, that would be the one guy that would come to mind. Well, let me ask you about a guy who went undrafted, Wyatt Johnson's teammate, Matt Maggio, who came back with, with a you know 1.3 or so point per game season the year after. He was a late birthday, so he is one of the older guys in, in that group. But, I mean, is that a guy who a year later looks like he should have been drafted? Yeah, I think there'll be guys like him and, and Tucker Robertson and Peterborough, who, maybe even James Hardy, Mississauga. They've got chances to be late picks. Uh, I think all those guys have some similarities and that they're not that big and not dynamic skaters, but they have offense. And yeah, Maggio, in particular, the three is, you know, has, has been very impressive this season at the OHL level. I don't know if he's a pro, but yeah, I don't think, I don't see any of these re entries going really, really high, at least among those groups. There's some other guys that I'm, I'm watching right now and kind of considering, but uh, Maggio and Robertson probably would be later picks. Maggio is one of the guys I liked uh, at that Erie showcase uh, last summer. Uh, Greg C says, given the production of both Quinn and Paterka uh, with the Rochester Americans this year, do you see that production carrying over to the Sabres in the years ahead? Presumably, you know, it just means kind of like how much is going to translate because some of it is. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about Quinn before. Uh, maybe not as much as we probably should have, but we've talked about the year that Jack Quinn is having. He's He's looked really good. Uh, when he's been healthy and playing in the American League, he's he's posting big numbers. Uh, looks exceptionally skilled, makes plays. Obviously, can score. Got like something like around twenty five goals in thirty five games. Uh, the one that I feel like we probably should have given more attention to this year is the, is the year that JJ Paterka is having in the American League. This guy still would have been World Junior eligible this year. And as of, as I say this, he is top ten in the American League in scoring right now. This guy has really good skating he has skill he works he can make and, and, and finish plays i mean he's you know you look at what his world juniors was last season you look at the year he's having the american league right now this looks like a very promising early second round pick by the sabers yeah and this was a guy who a lot of people thought was going to go in the 20s it seemed like for most of the build-up to that draft and then he, you know he just just barely slides out of the first round you know he, he gets the number 30 and buffalo trades up to go get him that's right. So, you know, ultimately a guy who you can kind of consider this, you know, a late first round pick, but as good as you could have hoped for, for sure. Yeah, I would probably say Quinn is ahead of him as a prospect right now, but, but both look like guys who I think are going to score in the NHL, whether I think Quinn's definitely a top six forward, whether Paterka is a second or a third line forward, we'll see. But I mean, it's hard to, to criticize the guy based on the year he's having right now. Cedric S. wants your most notable risers and fallers for this year's draft between the start of the season and now. Uh, that's a great question. We mentioned Gauthier earlier in this podcast. I mean, he's a guy who's just continued to go up and up and up and up. And, uh, you know, I don't hear a lot, a lot of negative things about him uh, right now. Pavel Minchikov is another one who just didn't play at all the previous season. I had watched him when he was two seasons ago for a couple of games at the U17 challenge, but that was a very long time ago. And uh, so that after again watching him a full year in Saginaw, that was one that that comes to mind. Owen Pickering, a guy who 
I, it was a really interesting story. I got a chance to talk to Owen Pickering at the CHL Top Prospects game. And his development path has just been such, such a steep upward uh, trend. He was like a mid-round pick in the WHL draft. He told me a couple of years ago when the Manitoba invited the top 40 or something players in the region, he didn't even get an invite for, for his age group. And now you're, you're talking about a guy who might go in the first round of the NHL draft. So and that's been a guy who's really kind of come out of nowhere in that regard. In terms of guys who kind of gone the other way, uh, I thought there's a couple of defensemen that come to mind. Elias Salmonson's a guy I, I watched when I was 16. I'm like, wow, this guy's so dynamic. This guy looks like a lock for the first round. I think he still might go in the first round, but it's definitely not a lock anymore. The offense hasn't been as significant as I thought it was going to be. The two NTDP defensemen, Lane Hudson, Ryan Chesley, didn't have the big, big seasons I thought they were, in particular Chesley. But I think when you watched him the prior season, looked like this very yeah. well-rounded defenseman. He could skate. He's physical. He's offense. He was on the first power play unit to start the season for the program, and kind of, that's kind of steadily changed over the course of the season. Those would be kind of the primary ones that would come to mind for me. Anybody for you, Max? No, Chesley is the big one for me. I mean, you know, last year, you know, the first first couple times I saw him, I thought that looked like a top 15, top 20 pick. And I still see that upside there when you look at the toolkit, um, but it didn't quite materialize in, in the way that you would have wanted uh, for the draft year, I think. And that's fair. And obviously the other one I would think about would be Brad Lambert, where you know, just a year ago, the world juniors he had and score versus men, the dynamic skating and skill and... I still think he'll be a first round pick. Might even still be a top fifteen pick, but the kind of the star has kind of faded a little bit there. Did that one fall so much this season though? Like I, I feel like even at the start of this year, it was already getting to like you know it's teens or or so. I think after the U eighteen Worlds last year, where I really didn't like his game at all. Yep. It was the first indicator, like uh, this, and then a so-so uh, showcase, like so-so start to the year. But, but you still had what like, you don't want to like evaluate two uh, those tournaments too critically. It's one tournament, it's a summer yeah. thing. Let's just see how a season goes. But yes, there was a steady progression there. It's why when I kind of mentioned in the first half, it wasn't. I didn't feel like a knee-jerk reaction because there was right. mounting evidence. But when you had watched this guy two, three years ago, you thought. We had kind of joked in a previous episode this was going to be the year of Brad Lambert and Shane Wright, and yeah. and and I still think Brad Lambert's going to be a, a good NHL player, but it, that's not the, how you would describe this draft right now. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so Daniel asked one on Ben Myers that I might kind of tweak from the way that he words it. The way he words it is, if Ben Myers were to have been drafted back when he was first draft eligible with his current results, where would he have gone? I'm going to tweak it and say – if he had been drafted as someone who projected to score 41 points in 34 NCAA games, because I, I think obviously if, if you're in your draft year, you're over a point per game uh, centerman in the NCAA who plays the kind of hockey Ben Myers does, you pretty much go in the top five. Um, so let's just say if he projected to develop into this guy, but you were getting him at 18, um, where would he go? I think that's a more fair way to gauge value. Is that fair? You think this guy would have gotten the top five overall picks? If he was a college freshman who oh, oh, scored okay. 41 points. Oh, okay, right, 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 right. Okay, that's okay, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, okay. So I'm saying like, like if he projected I, 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 I thought you meant like this current iteration of – No, no, no. no, 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 no I'm no. saying if he was an 18-year-old who scored 41 points in 34 games, that's a top five pick. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, get, I get what you're saying now. Yeah. Yeah, I like Ben Myers. Obviously, he's my top college free agent. Not really in a controversial opinion. Anybody who watched him this season, watched me at the Olympics, understands this guy's a good player, good skater, competes, has offense. Probably not a dynamic offense. I think he's going to play in the NHL. Realistically, though, I think he's a bottom six forward. 
I don't know if he's going to be a for sure power play guy in the NHL, but he'll probably have secondary offense to go with the speed and the work ethic to slot into the bottom half of the lineup. Guys like that typically go in the second round of an NHL draft. So that would be realistically where I would slot him right now. I did obviously see him coming up in the USHL. I liked him there. Didn't like his skating back then. I think that's why he was undrafted. He made really significant improvements to his skating from being an issue to a strength now. And that's why you've seen this guy elevate into a guy who will play in the National Hockey League from a previously undrafted player. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And I think that's the right context, right? Like you're talking about a guy who, you know, there are probably teams who would take a a bottom six center at the very end of the first round, but more likely that's kind of the the profile of of the second round. Right. I don't know if he's for sure at NHL center, maybe a fourth line center if he is. I think those are the things that need to be sorted out over the future. Yeah, yeah. All right. Cider and Juice says, with the likes of uh, Power, Beneers, McTavish, Eklund, maybe Simon Edvinson, maybe Shane Wright, uh, bound to be in the NHL next season, do you anticipate the next rookie class to be even more formidable than this year's? This is a great question because I think this is an outstanding NHL rookie class next year. And I am curious how you think next year's compares to it. It looks like it's deeper. I don't know if we're going to have the top end performances. You look at this year's class. You look at what Trevor Zegers is doing in Anaheim, the scoring he has. You look at what Lucas Raymond is doing as a teenager in Detroit. Yep. You look at Mort Sider looking like a true number one defenseman as a rookie. It's it's hard to imagine those guys elevating to those levels of scoring or responsibility as rookies, even though there's more options. You know, could Beneers become you know, have the great year become a first line center? Maybe, probably unrealistic, and I and I wouldn't want to project that onto him because it would be it would be unfair. It's possible. Can power pop like that at, at you know at twenty years old? It's possible, maybe, but I'm not sure. I'm going to be saying any of these guys are going to any of the fours are going to have 60, 70 point years, or the defensemen are going to become twenty five minute a night guys. I don't, do you do you disagree on any of that? No, I agree. It's the same point I would make. Like, I, I think Beneers probably projects to, you know, I think you're hoping for a year similar to what Anton Lindell has done in Florida. Right. But in, in, when you look at the slotting of these guys, you would want for him to have the kind of year that like a Zegris or a Raymond had in, in power. Like, is he going to be as good as Cider? Is he going to be more like Jamie Drysdale, who's been, I mean, obviously a much bigger Jamie he Drysdale. He's been really good. In Buffalo, too, because of Darlene. Right, exactly. And, and Bowen Byram, I think you could lump into that conversation. So I just think this year's class, you know, there's going to be comparisons, I think, that, that get made. And, you know, Mason McTavish, like, can he be kind of like the Cole Sillinger right. figure of this year? Maybe a little better. Right. Um, but I, I don't see kind of – maybe it's partly because of the teams that they're going to join um, and, and the opportunities that's there. Like, you know, Zegris obviously is in Zegris's spot. So McTavish can't be in Zegris's spot uh, in that lineup. And so I, I just think it's going to be a little less of the – superstar performances, but a really strong overall class. Anaheim did give McTavish some good power play opportunities when, when he was playing. So I could see him scoring and scoring at a good rate next season. Uh, Beneers, you mentioned Lundell. Obviously, he'd get a little more power play time than Lundell gets in Florida, which is none. Yeah. But not as good as a team. They won't have the puck as much. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if anyone's going to really pop at that level. I'm sure somebody will. And obviously Shane Wright. You know, we, we, we got, we got to talk about, got to talk about Shane Wright. Yeah. Presuming he is in the NHL, which I would not say at this moment is a 100% lock, but I would say 90 to 95% he's, he is in the NHL. Top prospect in this year's draft. I think he can come in and, and help a team play a significant role. Could maybe do similar to what Nico Heischer did in his rookie year, which was what do you have like fifty points, something along yeah, those really lines. Good. Really good, yeah. Yeah, I think he can help a team 
whichever team that is, we'll find out in a few, in a few weeks. Any shot Slavkovsky gets into the NHL next year? He's got a shot, I would say. I would not call it a lock, but he's got a shot. He'd be an interesting one in terms of the, the goal scoring. Like when you talk about the statistical performances, he'd be a guy who I think could threaten kind of the, the 25 goal ish uh, rookie lead that, that I think we're going to end up seeing here 20, 25 to 28 probably by year's end. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about Slavkowski today when I was watching the Slovak team play Norway. They were losing at one point, ended up, ended up winning 5 2. And I'm like, I'm thinking this team beat Sweden, yep. Finland, and the United States at the Holinka. And they can barely get past Norway, and because they're missing Slavkovsky. Yeah. No, I mean it, it's interesting. Like I, you know, it, to me, it's just like the the goal scoring is that big of a, you know, it's it's a huge differentiator. It's the hardest thing to do in the NHL. All right, uh, moving on to the next one. Patrick T wants to know how did Brad Marchand turn himself into such a good skill player? Was he thought of as someone that could do that when coming out of junior? Uh, he was. What I think is most interesting about Brad Marchand's development path is. You know, I tip. You typically look at prospects when they're nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, as like they're still their development age. Uh, we did an article uh, just a couple days ago talking about the Ottawa and Detroit rebuilds, and I mentioned in there that I think Dylan Lark- Dylan Larkin in a few years will be out of his prime years, and some of your readers didn't appreciate that. I, I noticed and, that, <laughs> and I could be wrong, but if you look at just statistical history. Uh, age curves. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. guys, in the current NHL, the prime is between 23 to 26 typically. But Brad Marchand did not become the player he was until he was quite a few years into his career. He scored in the Late queue. Late 20s. I mean, 26, 27 yeah. years yeah. old. He, he was. was a scorer in the queue, and he had the, the grit and the, and the chippiness. And But there was a reason why he was not a, not a high pick, small guy, good skater, not an incredible skater. He had offense, but yeah, it wasn't until it was, yeah, he said he was in his, I think he had his, his first 80 point season. He was 28 years old. Yep. So I get chirped sometimes about the U23 rankings I put out that it's kind of too arbitrarily cuts off guys who can follow that path when they're 24, 25, 26, they can, they can pop. The only issue is every time I add one number to that, it adds about a couple thousand hours of, of work a couple thousand hours of work sorry so it's only i can only cover so many players in that ranking but there are players who after their 22 23 do pop and i think marshawn's a guy who just continued to work on his game you you can make you could poke fun at anything about what, what he does on the ice and off the ice but his work ethic is is really high end he he did everything he needed to to turn himself into an elite player and uh, really unique development story. Yeah, absolutely. Logan M uh, wants to talk about Olin Zellweger. And when he talks, he says, when I watch Zellweger, I see a similar play style and toolkit to Kale McCarr. Obviously he's not that level, but how do you view him after seeing him this season? And what would your projection for him be? So Zellweger right now uh, is about a point and a half a game in the WHL right now. Recently got hurt. I hope he'll be okay yep. there for the WHL playoffs. But a great season. A guy who, if he had been born a week later, would have been in this draft class. We talked about him on the podcast before for those reasons. I would not say Makar. This guy's 5'9". He's a good skater. Wouldn't call him that kind of level of skater. To me, the comp the comp I think of when I watch him is a fellow Colorado defenseman, Sammy Gerard. He's a guy I look at with the, with the really – he's a pretty good skater. He's creative and skilled and – Yes, he's not going to defend well in the NHL, but he defends 
pretty well in junior. Gerard defended well enough in junior to go with the incredible offense. So I, this is why I think Zellweger is going to be a top four defenseman in the NHL. There aren't a whole lot of 5'9 top four NHL defensemen in the NHL, but I think this guy's got a decent chance to become that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, the next one is from Clarky, who wants to know about Bobby Brink and how he's progressed since his draft season. Obviously, pretty well. He's a Hobie Hattrick finalist and now a national champion. Um, but what are some realistic expectations from him as an NHL, or how has that prog- uh, projection, I guess, pr- progressed as he's developed? I do like Bobby Brink. I think his sense, his skill are all really good. He, he competes hard. But there are, and like I said, he had a great junior season after a very disappointing sophomore season where he really didn't score close to the level you expected. And then, of course, this junior season, he leads the, the, the nation in scoring, does does uh, answer those concerns a little bit. I still think when you watch him at the Frozen Four or whenever I watch him this season, you still see a f- small guy, wonky skater, still a lot of scouts I talk to who question this, if this guy's going to make it or not. I think he does. I think he'll be a third-line winger in the NHL. I think he'll be second power play. But... He has significant hurdles to overcome with, with his skating ability at that size. And I think people are going to keep asking those questions of him until they prove it and, and shut them up, essentially. Okay, then we're going to go to CMC, who says, Is there a more underrated forward in the NHL than Robert Thomas? His passing ability is jaw-dropping at times, and he suddenly transformed from a liability on face-offs into a guy who wins 50%. I think this is a great question because Robert Thomas has been one of the best bounce-back stories in the NHL this season. He, he had seemed to kind of take the leap in his age 20 year a couple seasons back. Last year, he ends up with 12 points in 33 games, and it wasn't like some weird shooting percentage thing. Like He had the highest shooting percentage of his career in that down year, and he was just getting less than a shot on goal per game. And obviously, the playmaking is a huge factor here. Um, but I think probably maybe the best uh, bounce back story in the league this year is Robert Thomas, who at 22 is now a point per game centerman. Uh, and and to the, the the question asker's point, has really improved his faceoffs as well. I I think this is a legit case. This is the most underrated player in the NHL. Yeah, he's a great player. He kind of gives you some similar vibes to points, uh, Brandon Point's trajectory when he was younger in terms of the way he plays. Smaller guy, but really intelligent, skates well. Really good two way guy. Yeah, I mean, I love Robert Thomas. I've always kind of, not always, but the last couple of years, I've, I've rated him rather highly as a guy I thought had the potential to be a top-line forward. He had that, like I said, the one down year I lowered the projection slightly. Now probably shouldn't have in, in hindsight. Look, really well-rounded player. Which, like I said, other than the goal scoring, like I said, the hockey sense the, is exceptional. Great skill. He works. I got two-way ability down the middle. St. Louis is a good team, and he's a big reason why. What's interesting about Robert Thomas, too, is I think you look historically at the NHL draft. You can find value. You usually see value wingers sometimes go in the second or the third round. You see value defensemen that become top four, even top pair guys, occasionally go between the second to the fourth round. Value goaltenders go in the mid-rounds. You don't usually see legitimate top-line centers get outside the top ten. We talked on this podcast often about how hard it is to find a first-line center in the draft. You usually need to suck and get a high pick or win the lottery to get that player in the NHL draft. And here, at 20th overall, the St. Louis Blues drafted a legitimate first-line center in the NHL. It's probably not the best strategy to get one of them, but it shows that it's possible. 
Well, and he and Cairo have, have been a big reason why St. Louis has seemed to kind of extend this window here, despite, you know, they, they lose Alex Petrangelo. Obviously, they bring in Tori Krug as kind of the replacement there. But to have this next wave of young guys coming and have him be as good as Thomas and Cairo have been, um, this is the kind of breaks you need in, in, in drafting and in developing in order to sustain a contention window. Right. You saw that in Detroit. They should have yep. been bad a long time ago, and they just – the guys they found just kept extending it long enough until it just seemed like it was no longer tenable. Yeah. And then we'll end on something light from Dan S., who wants our uh, top fast food hamburgers here. I'm going to set a little bit of a parameter here, Corey. And All right. I'm going to say that fast food hamburgers has to have a drive through. So that kind of takes out the Shake Shack. Uh, it takes out the um, five oh, guys is. from the tier, right? These are obviously really good burgers. Um, but – Let's limit these to places with a drive-through here. So your 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 top fast food burgers. We talked about this off camera. You know, I I you know from just living in the Midwest, li- living in Michigan, Culver's comes to mind right yeah. away. You know, that was something that that I would whenever I remember when we used to go to the Traverse City tournament. That was always kind of the go-to food there when we were going to Traverse City would be would be the Culver's there. Yes, I mean that's my personal favorite. Yes, I'm trying to remember when I was living in Canada if Harvey's had a drive-through. I think it did. If I re- if I remember, and I really I really liked Harvey's Harvey's burgers, but otherwise those would be the, f- the ones that come to mind. But you see, it looks like they do. It looks like they do. Yeah. Okay, so I I'm fine putting them into, into the mix. But you seem to be a, a fan of 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 the big the big brand names. Well. Let's rewind here a little bit. Yeah, Culver's my number one. Like, no doubt, I'm a good Midwestern son. I'm going with Culver's number one. But yes, I think the Quarter Pounder is a really good fast food burger. And, you know, I think McDonald's takes some heat. Some of it deserves. Some of it just kind of because it's kind of the culture here. Uh, but I I'm, I think the Quarter Pounder is a really darn good fast food burger. And I will crave it from time to time. So, yeah, I will throw the Quarter Pounder into the ring there. I, I'll put the Quarter Pounder up against most comparable chains burgers burger to burger and and i think i like its odds what would be your evaluation between the quarter pounder and the big mac uh i don't need the sauce on it i i'm good with the regular burger flavors i I like the big mac but i don't need are are you a multiple patty guy or are you a single patty guy i prefer the double quarter pounder so i guess that technically makes it a half pounder uh, someone could argue that I've had a few too many of them, uh, and I, I should stick to a single single patty. But yes, I do like the double patty. But I'm good with the single patty. Does it need it? It's 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 enough on its own. I feel like with the fast food hamburgers, whether it's like the quarter pounder or something else, if you only get the one, it feels like the burger's too small. Sometimes uh, that I agree with you. Yes, it, like, just be, just because the, the the meat slice are usually really thin, and yep. you feel like you're not getting your protein and. It just it doesn't feel like a meal. It feels like a snack almost, almost like a slider to an extent. Sometimes I will go and get like a quarter pounder and then also like a McDouble just as like, okay, this is my like meal and this is my side. And the side is just another hamburger. And again, you know, I think people are learning a lot about me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fine. This is the, uh, the athletic hockey show is a judgment-free zone. Yeah, I think it is. I used to be a big Whopper guy, but I, I shifted to, uh, somewhere around college. I think I shifted uh, to, to McDonald's. Maybe because I don't think there was a Burger King on my uh, an easy Burger King at my college campus. That could be it. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Before we just go into a bunch of free ads for all these companies, uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. It's going to start you with a 30-day free trial. 
and it's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Make sure you do that to read all of Corey's stuff leading up to this draft. We'll talk to you soon.